Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and I just ask that you all would turn to that as you do. Also find Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be looking at that passage just briefly as we see how the Lord ties New Testament and Old Testament together through the prophecy that he has presented to us that's unfolding, that is currently unfolding. It will continue to unfold as we live through history. So we will be looking in depth at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. In just a bit, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 4. Several weeks ago, uh, Pastor Joe Kappel launched our 2018th Advent series by preaching on a message around the promises that the Bible presents to us concerning our Lord. And in particular, Joe spoke to the promise of Emmanuel, God being with us. You know, there were many important things that Joe highlighted for us. And in particular, he explained the concept that to understand or to comprehend Old Testament prophecies, we need to understand the unfolding, progressive nature of what is being prophesied. We tend to think of it as an already, but not yet, unfolding. An already, but not yet, unfolding. The last Sunday, Pastor Sam preached a powerful message from Isaiah chapter 11. Pastor preached on the promise of Messiah's kingdom. And then, as Pastor Joe and Pastor Sam reminded us, as we see history unfolding, we are blessed to understand that many of the biblical prophecies have already come to pass. So, for instance, we recognize that the birth of Christ is the primary focus of God being with us, Emmanuel. But Joe also pointed out that a, a partial fulfillment of God with us actually took place during the time of Isaiah and King Ahaz. For Isaiah proclaimed in chapter 8, verse 10, that take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. That was an initial unfolding of what it means for God to be with his people. Now, from the time that Isaiah spoke those words, 600 years would transpire before the gospel of Matthew would declare in chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place that to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Prophecy, already but not yet, partially revealed in Isaiah's day, but in latter times, it will become fully fulfilled with the birth of Christ. There's one other point from Joe's message that he preached on Emmanuel, that I think has particular bearings for us as we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. 
It concerns the concept about the mindset of King Ahaz. The mindset of King Ahaz. Isaiah begins to give us particular insight into Isaiah's way of thinking. It was a, a mindset that had him to lament that when offered the opportunity to align himself with Almighty God, Ahaz replied in chapter 7, verse 12, here's, here, here's Ahaz's response to God's offer for him to align himself with God. Ahaz would say, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. King Ahaz was given an opportunity to bend his will to that of the Lord's. Yet, he turned his back on a chance to deny himself and take up the cause of God. His response broke Isaiah's heart. Indeed, King Ahaz's response was an affront to the face of God, and it ought to be a warning to each of us not to follow his example. As Joe rightfully discerned, Ahaz's words came out of a prideful heart, a pride that was ruling in his heart. Joe insightfully labeled it shameful piety. Ahaz simply thought that his ways were superior to the Lord's ways. And he did not want to share any of the praise that might come his way with the Lord. You know, I have to sadly consider that if we are all not very careful, uh, there's a measure of Ahaz's mindset that resides in each of us. I want to call it this morning the Ahaz syndrome. We need to be careful of not having Ahaz syndrome ruling in our hearts. Ahaz syndrome will stand between you and Emmanuel, God being with you. Ahaz symbol, syndrome will cause God to withdraw his loving hand of protection from you and let you do things your own way. The fact of the matter is that I would rather fail attempting to follow God's way than achieve great success and doing things perfectly my way. You, you know, I'm often reminded that we get hung up on this thing just a little bit about being perfect versus failure. And, and I want to share just a little good news with you this morning. Uh, the good news this morning is that you don't have to achieve perfection to make it to heaven. And being imperfect won't keep you out of heaven either. What you have to be is redeemed. So, so let me say that again. You don't have to achieve perfection to make it to heaven. And being imperfect won't keep you out of heaven either. What you have to be is redeemed. You see, being redeemed is what you need to keep Ahaz syndrome from ruling your heart. You can follow the path of King Ahaz, or you can follow King Jesus. So as we look at this wonderful passage found in Isaiah chapter 9, 
there are three things that I, I want to call to your attention this morning. One, Jesus is the great light that has come into the world. Second, Jesus is the great joy that is given to the world. And third, Jesus is the great hope that is promised to the world. Isaiah's prophecy is focused on the fact that Jesus is the king that is promised to rule the world. Why? Because Jesus is the great light that has come into the world. He's the great joy that is given to the world. And he is the great hope that is promised for the world. So as we ponder these promises of the king, and let me just talk a bit about why Jesus is the great light that has come into the world. I asked you earlier to be ready to take a quick look at uh, Matthew chapter 4. Let me just turn to that right now and starting at verse 12, listen what the New Testament writer has to say to us about this great light that has come into the world. Verse 12 begins, it says, and when he, he being Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now listen, verse 15. For the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And then verse 17. For that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I'm sure you can see the connection between Matthew's scripture and the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 1. The fulfillment of a great Old Testament prophecy has now taken place. King Jesus is on earth, and he's bringing the light of the gospel of God to a fallen world. And indeed, it's a great light. Now, it's interesting to note the time and the place that this prophecy addresses. Isaiah speaks about the former and latter times. Isaiah's prophecy takes place during difficult times for God's people. A kingdom once united was now divided into two parts. The beginning of this process of division and destruction is what Isaiah calls the former times. The northern kingdom, which the Bible calls Israel, was composed of ten nations that had broken off from the United Kingdom. The capital city of this broken-off nation was Samaria. The former times were indeed a great time of darkness and hopelessness that was filled with despair and gloom. It was a time when God's people, who had once walked in the light of God's great love for them, were now living in darkness, in the darkness of evil that they loved 
and the God they had rejected. However, the exact opposite may be said about the latter times. Isaiah prophesied about a great hope that would eventually come to rest in the hearts of God's people when he wrote, in the latter times, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And, and that's exactly what we see occurring in Matthew chapter 4. The latter times open up with the beginning of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting to note that Matthew writes Jesus had just come from a time of testing by the devil. You know, the old devil, he was up to his same old tricks. Having caused Adam to fall to the deceitfulness of his lies, the devil thinks that maybe he can double down and make it happen again in the heart of Jesus. The devil is thinking that maybe there's a bit of Ahaz syndrome going on inside of the heart of this man, born of a virgin, who would, would, would cause him to claim just a little bit of the glory for himself. Just listen to what the old devil had to say in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Listen to what he has to say to our Lord. In verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Beloved, Satan knows that it's all about worship. Whatever you treasure in your heart, that's what you're going to worship. Worshiping God and God alone is one of the defining attributes of those who have truly seen the great light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Worship is not about coming together and gathering on a certain day and singing a bunch of praise songs. You know, people who have Ahaz syndrome can do that. Worship is not about knowing the right words to say and when to say them. Uh, people who have Ahaz syndrome ruling in their hearts know how to do that. What truly defines worship is all about what's ruling in your heart. Is it Ahaz syndrome or is it King Jesus? When King Jesus rightly rules in your heart, you will join in with the saints on a regular basis and sing praises, praises to the king. And when King Ahaz, when King Jesus, I'm sorry, rules rightly in your heart, you will bury the word of God deeply inside of your soul and on a regular basis quote it as a normal part of your conversation. We ought to be known as scripture-quoting people. So Isaiah speaks to the fact that the former times, a great darkness existed in the heart of God's people. 
praise be to God, for he would not let his people dwell in darkness forever. It would take the latter times for the light of Jesus Christ to begin shining brightly in the world. Now, not only is the time important, but Isaiah also notes that the place was important. The land of Zabulon and Naphtali represented the outer regions of the world that surrounded the nation of Judah. Isaiah refers to it as the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. It is here in the latter times, in the land of the heathen nations, that Christ would begin his reign. Why? Why in the outer regions instead of the city of Jerusalem? Well, the scripture proclaims for us in Psalms 24.1 that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and who dwells therein. Even though the prince of the power of the air is ruling in the hearts of unredeemed people and is at odds with the kingdom of God, make no mistake about it. The earth is the Lord's and King Jesus is in the business of claiming it back. Now, now what's a key aspect of the king's reclamation initiative? Well, we see that in Matthew chapter 4 as well, because verse 17 proclaims for us, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Emmanuel is with us. And that's a critical point. Repentance is a critical step required to have reconciliation. It's all about making people right with God. Making people right with God requires pre preaching the message of repentance to a dark and dying world. And, and sometimes it even includes reminding the redeemed of the Lord that repentance is sometimes that's something imperfect people need to do as well. Repentance is something imperfect people need to do as well. But, but there's a big problem. You see, Ahaz syndrome tends to get in the way. You know, as a pastor, there, there's, there are great areas of concern that I have with interacting with some of the redeemed of the Lord. Uh, the single most important event that has ever occurred in anyone's life is receiving the gift of reconciliation from our God. To be reconciled with God is the single greatest gift any of us could ever receive. Being reconciled with God establishes, establishes a guiding principle that all believers need to put into practice as we deal with other people and as we work through conflict. However, there seems to be this unhealthy tension between practice and principle, between principle and practice. We need to remember this morning that principle always drives practice. Principle 
always drives practice. The practice of our lives should never take priority over the principle. Practice must never take priority over principle. And that principle involves taking the ministry and message of Jesus' love to a sin-sick world. And for anyone who claims that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life, the principles must always flow out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My occupation should not drive what happens in my life. My point is this. There is no practice that any redeemed child of God is involved in that should ever take precedence over the principle of being involved in advancing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ as their primary objective of life. Redeemed of the Lord, our primary objective in life is to advance the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible proclaims that what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and to lose their soul? It has all to do with placing primary emphasis on advancing the gospel. And when the the light of the gospel of Christ shines brightly in our hearts, it drives out the darkness that exists in the people who are blinded by the effect of sin. The Bible teaches, and, and, and believe this is true, the Bible teaches that every part of creation has been darkened by sin. And that includes even the way we think. Uh, God reminds us of that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. He says, the Lord, Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Now, I'm not trying to be overdramatic here, but God has declared that we, when we start to lean too heavily on our darkened understanding, it will take us farther away from Him. Even the good that we do is always stained by the darkness of sin. And if you think that mankind is better off today than it was in Jesus' day or during the time of Isaiah or back in the good old days of American culture, that's just simply not the case. The Bible declares there's nothing new under the sun. We all have a habit of thinking that the time we live in is as bad or as good as it gets. But that's wrong. History has a way of repeating itself. The heart of man is no darker today than it has been when Jesus preached this message of repentance. The darkness that dwells in unredeemed humanity still reminds us of the dark reality that sin remains at work in the fallen world. What the world stands in need of is the promise of Christ, that he has brought a great light into the world. And we have the responsibility as the redeemed of the Lord to take that dark, that great light into a dark world. It should be, and it must be, your first priority in principle and then followed by practice.
The second point I want to talk about as far as the promise to the king is that Jesus is the great joy that is given to the world. Again, as we look at Isaiah's prophecy, and beginning in at verse 9 of chapter 9, he says, verse 3 of chapter 9, he says, you have multiplied the nations and you have increased its joy. They rejoice because before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. In verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, what is this day of Midian that Isaiah is speaking about? Now, if you may recall that during the time of the judges, Gideon was selected by God to lead his people against a great enemy, the Midianites, who were descendants of Moses. Uh, they had assembled a great army to destroy God's people. Now, to oppose this army of the Midianites, God had given Gideon uh, a mighty big army, 300 people, to go against this overwhelming force. And, it, you know, so he gave him 300 people, but, but not only that, he, God also gave uh, Gideon's army arms of clay pots, torches, and trumpets. Now, now, maybe you can start seeing why Isaiah would look back to this time of Gideon as he looked and contemplated the crisis that the nation faced during the time of King Ahaz. Uh, he, he wanted to, to highlight that, that, that those two instances because he wanted us to see that the response from these two leaders could not have been any more different. Whereas King Ahaz responded with prideful self-assurance, Judge Gideon placed his confidence fully in the Lord. King Ahaz thought it best not to bother God with his situation, but rather to, de to focus on deploying his own resources and intelligence. But Judge Gideon realized that it was best to trust in God, and he refused to rely on his own strength and his own resources. And as a result, God saved the day and made it plain that this was no ordinary military victory, that God was at work, and God is mighty to save. You know, even today, even today, our sophisticated military weapons that are unparalleled in the history of mankind, we could become convinced that it's best to rely upon the power of our military strength to carry the day for the Lord. That would be a grave mistake. Instead, we are told that our primary weapons are not those that defeat flesh and bones, but are of a spiritual nature, where the ultimate battle is being fought between God and the forces of evil. Ahaz syndrome would tell us to rely on our sophisticated military might and intelligence. Ahaz syndrome would have led Judge Gideon to look at his jars of clay and say, no way. But in great contrast to how 
Ahaz syndrome would have us respond, I love what the Lord said to Gideon in Judges 6.16. The Lord said, and he said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. If God be with you, who can stand against you? If God be with you, who can stand against you? Now, let me share one more word about these jars of clay. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 10, jars of clay. Here's what the Lord says to us as we think about jars of clay. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surprising power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Jars of clay, the surprising power of God. Unlike King Ahaz, who rejected the hand of God to help him in his time of need, Gideon embraced God's offer, and he gave all the praise to God for their deliverance. Indeed, as Isaiah would go on to say, there are four titles in this passage that reflect the nature of who Christ is. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father, and he is the prince of peace, and he is the one who dwells in the jars of clay. As wonderful counselor, Jesus is the all-wise and sufficient counselor. Jesus is the master counselor who possesses all knowledge, who is able to teach us all wisdom. He's the wonderful counselor who rules in the court of the king, and he is the head of the judiciary branch of government. His counsel will resolve every issue, every problem, in a manner that will amaze us with its wonder. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. As mighty God, Jesus is the sovereign king who has all authority. There is nothing that will stand in the way of his will being done just as he's decreed it to be so. You know, as, as mighty God, Jesus has no self-confidence issues. He, he's not like Israel's first king, Saul, who was little in his own eyes. Uh, he is not like our earthly rulers, who all have a measure of, insecurity, of insecurity that causes them to lead in a manner that often seeks to meet their own needs and their own ends and to not properly address the needs of the people they have been elected to serve. King Jesus will rule with a mighty hand that one day will cause every knee to bow in submission. 
as everlasting Father. Jesus will fulfill the promises he spoke about when he responded to his disciples' questions to teach them how to pray. Uh, in that prayer, Jesus petitions his heavenly Father to let his kingdom come. The believer is encouraged to pray to God as a father whose kingdom will come and whose holy will ought to be done on earth as it's already done in heaven. And as the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the, this title for Jesus refers to the abundance and wholeness of the restored kingdom that is yet to come. Uh, the building of God's kingdom has begun, but right now we refer to it as the invisible kingdom. The king now resides in the heart of his redeemed people. And when he resides, there will be peace that surpasses all understanding. And let me add, if, if, if King Jesus is, is in your heart, then you have great joy. He is our joy. Is he your joy? If he's not, then this morning I extend an invitation to you to seek out one of our, our pastors, our church leaders, or, or maybe the West Park Church members that's seated right next to you. Ask them about the great joy that resides in the hearts of people who claim Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. Well, I know that the, the hour is far spent and you all are, are ready to get out and celebrate the rest of the last Sunday of the year. So let me, let me close out with this last point. That Jesus is the great hope that is promised to the world. Uh, look again at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of, of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the host of the Lord will do this. You know, earlier in, in verse 6, Isaiah wrote that the government will rest upon his shoulder. You know, Jesus is the head of my government. Uh, we live in a time when government is just a mess. And if you don't think it's a mess right now, just wait till the other party gets into office and then you'll think it's a mess as well. It's in such a mess that I've just stopped listening to the talk, talking heads. There's just too much Ahaz syndrome going on out there for me. Wait, what I need is hope. And my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And, and Jesus and God is building his kingdom right now. In the midst of this chaos, God is establishing his government in the heart of his people. There's an interesting Jewish perspective on this concept of government. Let me, let me just share this with you. It has to do with a Jewish wedding. Uh, here's what it says, and for his government is being portrayed as a husband takes his bride. It says, then the bridegroom will remove the veil from the bride's face and throw it over his shoulder. In this gesture, the groom is making a public declaration that the government of his bride will be upon his shoulders. In other words, it will be his honor and privilege 
to now be her protector and provider. He will protect her heart and provide all the love and affection that God created her to desire, just as God has placed within us the need for love and affection from him. It is love and affection that he, that God, has promised to provide. It's also a demonstration of the fact that we are to be God's protector and provider. That's interesting. It's also a demonstration of the fact that we are to be God's protector and provider. That is to protect his heart and provide him with all the love and affection that he desires from us. By dying on a cross and rising from the dead, Jesus has defeated the sin that keeps us from consummating our marriage to him. And he will remove that veil from our face and throw it over his shoulder, signifying that he will protect our hearts and love us for all of eternity. The government shall rest upon his shoulder. One last point. I, I know the hour again. I've said that before. <laughs> give, me, give me a few more minutes. Uh, the, Isaiah talks about this throne of David. He talks about the increase of his government. And we've already talked about the already but not yet. And Pastor Sam last week beautifully laid out for us the fact that we are, we're starting to see God's prophecy be fulfilled. On May 14, 1948, God started to reassemble his people, the Israel nation, back together. Uh, our church constitution speaks to this in Article 14 when we tell about our position on Israel and the church. You need to read that. But as God begins to assemble his people together, another aspect of the government that Christ will establish is the concept of justice. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he will bring justice, true justice, uh, to the world. Amos 5.4 declares that justice will roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., in his famous letter from the Birmingham jail, bravely stated that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Our God is a just God. Justice needs to rule in our hearts. And so as, as, we, as we come to the end of taking a brief look at Isaiah chapter 9, we have this promise of a king. Our king, King Jesus, will lead us away from the ill effects of, of Ahaz syndrome because our king is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. And he is the Prince of Peace. And upon his shoulders, he will establish his kingdom and that will remain for all of eternity to come. Let's